year, we're giving over to making big people. Because I see, uh, Lisa and I, we, we see, you've heard, you've heard the vision that God has put over this place. We see um, uh, a very, uh, an influential community of people. We see a big church in the years to come. But we're not interested in a big church unless it's a big church full of big people. In fact, I think that's what we need to be. In fact, I think that's, that's what we need to be, a big church full of big people in the future. So, so we're investing into, a, into, into making big people, and that's what this whole series is about. Jesus loves his church, and he loves it when we gather, and he loves it when you raise your hands in worship, and he loves it when you pray. He, your prayers reach heaven. You better believe that. He loves you more than you know, and he wants to see you become a bigger person. You know, he wants, he wants when, when you first start following Jesus, and you might already know this, but if you don't, if, maybe if you're new to following Jesus or you're, you're, you're not, but you're, right now your heart is sort of, you know that it's, you need to. But, but when you first start following Jesus, what seems to occur is, is it's like everything's on fire in your life in a good way. Every time you pray, the presence of God, every time you pray, things are happening. Every time you, every, every time you open the Bible, it's like, it's... You know, there's no one more passionate than someone who's just discovered Jesus because it's such a turn. It's such an explosive moment. Um, and then often, as a minister, as a pastor, as a leader, I, I, can, I walk with people and around about six months in or a year in, people, you know, they might start to meet up and they'll start to say, I think something's going wrong. I think my faith has gone wrong somewhere. And I go, what do you mean? Uh, you know, you're reading the Word? Oh, no, I'm reading, I'm reading the Word. Are you, are, you, are, you, are, you, are you praying? Are you connecting with God? Yeah, yeah, I am. I am. What's going on? He says, well... I, Every time I read the word, it's not like every time. And, and every time I pray, things aren't immediately happening. I'm like, oh, okay, 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 okay. I know what this, this is. This is, this is what the Lord seems to tend to do in, a, in the life of a believer, you see, because when you're an infant in, in, in faith, uh, an infant in life, someone feeds you and someone changes your nappy and someone um, puts you to bed and, and defines your nap time and things like that. But as you grow, you start to walk on your own two feet. And, and, and the Lord needs people who, who, um, who can take ground. The Lord, need, the Lord is raising a generation who can, who can, who can cross the Jordan, as, as Alan said last week, uh, can cross the Jordan and then take ground. Go and take it in Jesus' name. And he will come. You don't live a non-miraculous life. You live a life of power, but it's one where you start to declare rather than start to beg. You start to be, to be a, more than a conqueror is what the word says. And you'll find yourself in that place as you become a bigger person. I want, I want to play with one more thing. Actually, yeah, I want to play with probably several more things that we've already talked about the last couple of weeks. But um, I'm going to, Alan last week didn't try to tackle the word, the Greek word that he tried. I'm going to give it a go with two accents. Um, um, it feels like the word is, I'm not going to come on the screen, but it was, it was, it was either hippotasso, hippotasso, or hypotasso? Sophie. No, I don't want to kill you, but... <laughs> hypotasso. And, and there's something where... He, uh, I'm, gonna, I'm using that word because here's my conviction. The bigness of God that he wants to put into you, it begins with hypotasso. 
the bigness of God, the bigness that he wants to put into you and, and sow into your life to make you the, big, the bigger person you need to be to conquer in life, to take ground in life, to, to move through life with a Teflon skin, being unoffendable with all the offense that you could quickly grab, uh, the, to, the, the, the key to running with blessing, with peace and joy, thriving with fruits of the Spirit, this, the, the, the taking all that life throws at you because no weapon formed against you will prosper and you know that Jesus has already overcome and you, just, you, you can charge for it. That all starts with hypotasso. Hypotasso is, um, uh, I like this, the con- a consistent voluntary yielding in love. It's obedience. A consistent voluntary yielding in love. It's obedience. Your breakthrough begins where obedience begins. Your bigness begins where obedience begins. A voluntary yielding to God who loves you and you who loves God. Obedient more and more to His Word and the prompts of the Spirit. This morning... I just want to take a single passage of Scripture and just meander through it together. Would that be a good idea? It would be a great idea. It was, it was the type of question that you didn't need to respond to because that's all I've got, so that's what we're going to do. <laughs> and the Scripture section we're going through is 2 Corinthians 5.11. Um, Alan um, started to speak about it last week and, 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 and it stirred in my own Bible reading as well. Um, And what I want you to do is I want you to have your devices out. What I want you to do is I want you to have your diaries out. What I want you to do is have your Bibles open. Um, and if you don't have a Bible, then it's supported. It's on the screen behind. But I need you to take notes because this is the Word of God and um, this is more correct, more truth, more deep than I can ever articulate to you. I'm not going to do as good a job as the Word is going to do. And so I want you to take notes about the things that resonate with you that I might say from my reflection, from my devotion, but I want you to hear with God's ears what He's saying to you. Because God will speak to you about all kinds of things from the truth of the Word. So have it out. Write it down. In fact, let's first begin with this prayer. Lord, teach us from Your Word. We need to hear from You Lord, we give you permission to whisper into our hearts from this moment throughout this whole message. Teach us what to do with it, Lord. Teach us how to yield it and wield it, Lord, for us and for our church and for our city. Amen. Let's begin. 2 Corinthians 5.11. It says this, since then we know what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God and I hope it's also plain to your conscience. Okay, okay, I need to like, and, and I'm pausing a lot here because I, this, this message is almost about to be, um, go off the rails and we're almost going to, almost, This fear of the Lord business is going to capture us for quite some time, so buckle in. Fear of the Lord. Let me ask you, what does that even mean? Fear of the Lord. Because because that seems like a contradiction. 
in our English translation. It, it seems like a contradiction. You, can't, you shouldn't be scared of God because God is love and perfect love drives out fear. And if you're supposed to be scared of the Lord, but perfect love drives out fear, then you've got some weird thing happening, going round and round in circles. Is it a contradiction? It's not a contradiction. Fear the Lord? What does that even mean? I want to break it out for you because I think we do a disservice with our Englishness. Um, fear the Lord might better be, might better be, okay, I'm going to give you two metaphors and the first one's not so good, but I like the first one, so I'm going to give it to you anyway. I love Lisa. (laughs) I love Lisa. I love her so much. But um, I also know just the way to do things in our house because I also respect her deeply and, and I know the eye. I know the look that I get like the other day. Okay. Okay, I won't. I knew I shouldn't start that metaphor, so I'm going to do a different one. I was kind of going to build on... So, here's another one. Um, Some people here like the ocean. Like the ocean. You guys have a surfboard. You like to go into the ocean in Scotland. Um, Who likes surfing and the waves and the beach and the... You go abroad and you do it. You go to Scotland with a dry suit or something. But the thing is, what I was always taught from somebody who, with my accent, betrays that I lived in Australia, which has more beaches and bigger waves sometimes. sometimes. But um, what I learned very young, early on, was um, love the water, love the ocean, but fear the water, fear the ocean. Don't be scared, don't run, but just be, give yourself over to a sense of awe and respect for the power and the might of the ocean. Because if I'm a 12-year-old going out trying to surf, I didn't surf, I boogie boarded, it's a different thing, but, but if I went out there alone, I needed to be careful. I have very remote, beautiful beaches and uh, powerful rips and uh, strong currents. And if I wasn't aware, acutely aware and respecting the power of the thing, that's when I get into trouble. When it says to fear the Lord, don't be scared of him, he loves you. But too many Christians um, uh, embrace the love of God and forget the fear of the Lord. Deeply respect. Because, you know what? Um, when the angels in the Bible appear, generally people fall down and can't move. Such is their terror. Such is their terror. God, time and time again in the Bible, says, I can't show you myself because to see me is to, you'll die. If you think an angel will stop you dead, if you see me, you will die. I've got a nursing background and I don't know exactly what biomedically or physiologically would happen to cause that, but I can only imagine to see God, my retinas would displace immediately and blood vessels in my brain would burst with the might and the glory of who God is and I'd have an immediate full stroke or something. Is that a bit too gory? Sorry. There's no depth to that. I'm not speaking spiritual stuff. I'm just saying, I'm imagining, what would it be, Lord? How would that occur? Yes, that's right. In, yeah, in the, in, and mindful as they were, the, the priests of, um, of, of Jewish times in, in Israel, that to go into the Holy of Holies, they tie a, a rope around your ankle, not as a good luck charm, but lest you experience God to such a degree that you die, and now we can't go in there for a year, so we've got to get you out somehow, so the rope is the death rope. Like, 
Like, it's the death row. It wasn't what it was called. It was probably called something much less whatever. What I'm trying to say is, we need to understand the fear of the Lord. It's right here. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. He's saying since then. So to go back a couple of verses, his since then is just this. He, he talks about, Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians, that the fact that all of us, all of us, all of us here, not just all of us here, all of us in every church, but not every church, all of us who follow Jesus, but not just that, all of us in humanity will one day stand before the Lord. We don't talk about this all this much in church, but it's a truth. We will all of us stand before the Lord and we'll give an account. We'll give an account for the good things. We'll give an account for the not-so-good things. It'll be like uh, a courtroom drama scene. Like we'll, we'll stand before him and he'll put on the DVD of every part of your life and then he'll say to you, what did you do with that? He paints that scene and then Paul says, since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord, respect and deeply honour and with a sense of great awe of someone who loves us, but someone who is big, someone who will have the final say, someone we will all stand before. Since then, we fear him, respect him, we try to persuade others. Because your friends and your family, who you love, who seem to be doing just fine, their money's in order, they're going on great holidays, they're seeming generally fine in life. The thing is, you never know what's going on under the surface. People, we have a, humans have a really good way of putting on the mask. We have a really good way of painting a picture. Afterwards, I guarantee you, when we're all hanging out downstairs, someone will say, how was your week? And you'll say, great! Someone will say, how are you? go, so good! But you know there's areas of your life that aren't. God knows. Your, you, your, your friends and your family can paint you the greatest picture, but they have things that they go through, they're going through, they've gone through and they will go through, plus they make decisions that either glorify or don't, plus one day they'll stand before the Lord. And so we, we, with fear of the, with, with the great deep respect of the Lord, we think we've got to persuade other people. You've got to, you've got to, you've got to know who God is. You've got to know who Jesus is. You've got to get Jesus in the middle of your life because he is the solution This morning, and I have a, I, I've got, I wanted to get all the way through to verse 16 today. I'm probably not going to. This morning, um, as I was preparing um, to, to arrive, God arrested my heart again, and he said, he talked to me again, the fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord, linger there. So I'm going to linger here a little bit more. I'm going to dig here a little bit more. He prompted it, so I'm going to stay. You see, if there are, I'm going to propose to you that there are two primary drivers toward God that will help you, and they are love and fear. Which is a weird thing to say because they seem two opposite sides of the coin, isn't it? Perfect love drives out fear, but we've just established that when I say fear, I don't mean scared. When I say fear, I mean respect. Respect is his, his, his immenseness, his, his justice. If you had two primary drives towards God, it would be love and respect. But if you have two potential destructive drives in your life towards humans and society, it would be love and fear slash respect. Let me break that down because that sounds totally heretical when I say you're supposed to love your neighbor but also don't love people. What I mean by that, as I explain, is two destructive forces that will hold you back from obeying Jesus is caring about the opinions of others, love of man, 
and avoiding their rejection, fear of man. When you care too much about other people's opinions and when you care too much about uh, other people's rejection, you'll find yourself compromising on what God says for you to do. The two greatest driving forces that will keep your life progressing and keeping in step with God is when you care more about His will for your life. You love Him. Jesus said, if you love me, you obey my commands. And the second one is to avoid grieving, quenching, crossing what God is saying, His will for your life and saying, I hear you, I read it, and it's a no. You never say it like that, do you? You you never say, I see what you're saying, but no, God. What you really do is you say, I see what you're saying, and I'll quietly ignore it. I'll, 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 I'll compromise just a little bit, and then maybe it's okay. I'm not ready for that, God. No, no. Proverbs 9, verse 10, it's not in the scriptures that you'll get on the screen because um, this is all this morning. Um, sorry, guys, up the back. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. You see, I've known believers who, and with all respect and love to people, I've known believers who um, live a life that sadly is one of, uh, an ultimately, ultimately powerless one. But they follow Jesus, and he's conquered all, and he came to give... Uh, the life of a Christian is, 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 is attractive because it's full with grace and mercy and power. But they live an ultimately powerless Christian existence. Why? Because they're stuck in a perpetual contradiction of knowing Jesus as their saviour. Man, they have a deep revelation of it, but they uh, have never stepped up in laying down themselves and, 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 and putting themselves lying prostrate as Jesus is Lord. You know what I mean? Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords, and, and, and he's, he's his saviour and his Lord. I know Jesus is my Lord and my saviour. You hear that prayer? You're my Lord and my saviour. Some people have a great revelation of saviour, but they don't have a great revelation of Lord. And so they live a life of perpetual perpetual powerlessness because their whole cycle is, I'm doing it my own way. Everyone be quiet. I'm doing it my own way. God, be quiet. I'm doing it my own way. I'm not going to do that. I need your help, God. I'm Forgive me, God. Oh, my God. Why aren't I moving? Why aren't I growing in my life? Okay, bless. Um, you forgive me. I love you, Jesus. Thank you. But I'm going to do it my own way. I'm going to do it my own way. I'm going to do it my own way. Stop talking to me, God. Stop talking to me about that. I'll do whatever I want. I'm not going to read. Oh, God, help me. God, I'm in trouble again. And you wonder why they're so powerless. But to have an encounter with God and to lay down your life and to say, I understand that, Jesus, you are not only my Savior who saves me, but you're my Lord who leads me. And when you say something, I say yes. There's something that breaks open in your life. The Bible plan for you is that you would go from glory to glory, right? But that glory to glory comes at the back of every yes you say when he asks you to do something. He takes you to a space and you say, yes, God. He can take you to another space. You say, okay, God. He takes you to another space. You go, I lay that down, God. He says, you've got to forgive that person. He says, I'll do it, God. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm just saying it's the way. Here's how you know you fear the Lord. You obey the Lord. 
If you, you can, I, I like tangible things, okay? I like practical things. And I don't feel, I, people, I, I don't know how self-aware I am. I don't know my feelings. I'm hungry or I'm tired. I don't know. I'll eat and then I'll sleep and maybe I'll feel better. So I need practical things. Am, am I doing okay? Here's how I know. I've got fear of the Lord just about right if I'm obeying him with what he says. And as I do that, I find a power in my Christian life the way God says there will be power in my Christian life. And that's the truth that Paul takes to bring it back to the Scripture. He says, he says, I better go back to the Scripture. He says, since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. Let's go to the next verse. 2 Corinthians 5.13, he says, If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. And if we are in our right mind, it is for you. Out of our mind, as some say. That's what I'm dwelling on. That's what I'm thinking about. 1 Corinthians 1.22-24 will come up. And it sort of talks about what the world thinks about when they looked at Paul. And it reflects on us too. It says, Jews demand, the Jews demand signs and the Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. It's a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Can I tell you something that you already know? Maybe you've already known everything anyway, but I'm going to tell you something you already know. When you follow Jesus, people won't agree with you. When you follow Jesus, people will think you're crazy. People will think you're crazy. I remember, and I've shared this before, when I first got saved, when I first said yes to Jesus with all of my heart at the age of 15 or 16 or something, um, I was, you wouldn't see it because I'm a pretty reserved gentleman, but... Um, but um, about six months into this incredible life-changing moment with God that happened in a service just like this, um, my mate, he pulled me aside, and he was going to the same church. He was just, and he said, Nathan, 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 Nathan. Um, I don't know how to say this, but I've talked to the guys. I've talked to the group. I've talked to the crew. You're just full on. You're just, you're too full on. Um, like, we go to the same church, so it's all fine, but I've got to ask you, I've got to tell you, there's such a thing as being too full on for God. <laughs> but I felt awesome with that. Like I went, oh, then I'm on the right track. This is great. I can't turn back. I love this. It's, if, it's, this faith in Jesus cannot be both true and unimportant. You've heard me say this. It's the, one of the first, the first revelations of my life. My faith, my following Jesus cannot be both true and unimportant. If it's true, it takes up everything. And if it's false, it's utterly irrelevant. But it can't be both true and unimportant. People will think you're out of your mind. Yet for those who have encountered the living God, it is the most reasonable thing to lay it all down before him. There's so many times that I found myself embarrassingly as a person who follows Jesus, talking to someone about following Jesus, and then a, a, a coin flips somewhere in my head and I'm starting to talk them out of following Jesus. And the reason is they start to say, I think I need to follow Jesus. And I'm saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But you have to give him, like you have to be willing to lay it all down. And it's like, yeah, I know, but if he's God, then he's good and he, he'll look after it. And I'm like, yeah, 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 but you don't fully understand. It's like, 
It's like really cool because you get totally forgiven and you have life everlasting and you have peace that runs through your life and you have joy that runs through your life and everything in your life transforms for the better and it's all that, but it costs you everything because he's your Lord as well. I'm like, yeah, I know, but I'm willing because why wouldn't I? And I'm like, shut up, Nathan. Why are you trying to talk this person out of following Jesus? Because for those who understand what God is saying, it's the most reasonable thing on the planet to do. Let me move on. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 to 15. Oh, I'm never going to make it out of this one. This is one of the most incredible scriptures you're going to ever read. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Uh, to crack this open, I'm. What compels you? What compels you, church? What compels me? Christ's love compels us. Christ's love compelled Paul. Think about that. If you if you do a bit of a study of Paul, if you watch his life a little bit, Paul was. Uh, he, had, he went from city to city, he planted churches, he served the church wherever he went, he, speak, he spoke, he preached Jesus, he, he suffered for it, he was imprisoned, he was beaten up, he was shipwrecked, he was thrown stones at until he was nearly dead, he, he, he got arrested, uh, he, got sent, he got taken to Rome, he pleaded his case, he was in house prison, um, eventually was executed and beheaded for it. All of these things, Christ's love compelled him. What compels you? What compels me? Because I want my heart to say, Christ's love compels me too. Because the thing that compels, that drives me, that pushes me on, if it's ego, Nathan, your ego is an empty dead end. If it's, if it's guilt, if it's a guilt response, a guilt is a motivator, it's, it's a motivator not a good one, it's not a fun one, it's not a good one to carry or live with and it won't see me through to the end. Religion, if religion compels me, man, that's, that's a performance mentality. That's God approves of me if and he doesn't if I don't. So I better or he'll be... That's a, that's a, that's a really sour lens to try and understand the fear of the Lord with. That's a perversion of the fear of the Lord. Religion is a performance mentality. Yet, when the fuel that propels you, that propels me, to as Miles talked about, to tithe, when Miles, when, to speak out to your friend about Jesus, to obey the Lord in that area of your life, when the, when, when the thing that propels you and compels you to do that is, is understanding Jesus' deep love for you and his intense love for the people next to you and around you, well, then I'm telling you, my friend, you're going to find uh, an endless source of energy in your life. People talk a lot about the concept of burnout, and it's a thing. But it starts when you're compelled by something other than the love of Christ. It starts when it's on you. It starts when the weight's on you. It starts when it's about something other than I get to be in the house. I get to, I, God, I, I invite you. What compels you? Here's the other, another part. He, he says, he says um, 
One died for all, therefore all died. Have you thought about that? Spiritually, you know, we're dead. We died. The moment you first believed, he died for all, therefore all died. My work colleague said to me one time, um, he said, you know what I envy about you, Nathan? And I said, well... But um, he, said, he said, what I envy about you is that I, I don't think, you probably don't fear death because you have this faith. And I said, well, I mean, I'm not, I'm not counting the days. Like, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm nervous. I don't like change that much that I'm, I'm looking, you know. But I think I know what you mean. What you mean is I'm not, I don't, I don't wake up at four in the morning at times of my life panic-stricken about what happens at the end of my days, because I know at the end of my days, through faith, Jesus has me. But then there's something else in this. This tells me that something's already begun. That, that the death that, that um, humanity faces because of the decision that we made in the Garden of Eden all those times ago, the, that, that, doesn't, that doesn't, my death isn't uh, a moment where I close my eyes, that's just my physical end, and I open my eyes to something else. Something happened when Jesus died on the cross and something happened then when I accepted that and said, Jesus, come into my life. That whole scary death thing's already happened and Jesus took it for me. He's risen, so I'm risen with him. So when humanity fears death, I ask, you ask, yeah, I've got to ask why. And one thing, philosophically, we, I don't have time to dig here because I'm aware that we we're, need to wrap up shortly, but... but uh, one of the reasons why humanity feels so uncomfortable with death is because we were never meant to die. Think about that and read Genesis. We introduced death. Death was a um, was like was never able to get past the customs because I'm trying to do a customs thing where you go through customs and you can't bring in artificial. Eh. We were never meant to die. We introduce death as, an, as a foreign species into existence, into our existence through choosing sin rather than God. We were meant to live forever. So forever, death will be an abstract thing that we're not very comfortable with. But here's the reason why I think we fear death. Firstly, or when we close our eyes, we say, what if there's nothingness? We say, what if I picked the wrong religion? We say, what if there is nothing, like I said? Or what if God's angry and I need to face the justice of God? Because, Nathan, you've just so talked about the, 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 the fact that we have to stand before him one day. But listen, when you receive Jesus and his death becomes your death and his resurrection becomes your resurrection, by the way, water baptism is a symbol for that and it's on my mind that I think as a church we're due to have a time of water baptism, so you'll hear me talking about that more, but if you haven't been water baptized, you should think about that. It's a symbol, a powerful symbol. But the fact that we died in Christ and are alive by his resurrection, it changes these questions a little bit. What if I picked the wrong religion? Well, I know by faith I didn't. I died already, and I found by the Spirit of God on the inside of me and and the life of God inside of me, that's answers, that question's already answered. I didn't. I've got the Spirit of God on the inside of me. What if there's nothing? There is something. I already died when Christ died, in Christ, and as he rose, something, something stirred on the inside of me, and I've got the Spirit of God as a deposit. The Word of God says, uh, your eternity started, and if you want to know if you're his or not, you've got the Spirit of God as a deposit, as a receipt, as a guarantee. 
So that presence of God moment that you experience, that the, the driving force on the inside of you that guides you, that you, the, 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 you know what I mean. If you know what I mean, you know what I mean. When you've got the Holy Spirit on the inside of you, that's your deposit of what's to come. You know the greatest moment of worship you've ever had, the greatest touch of God you've ever had, the greatest, most immersive experience when the Word of God has opened up before you and your whole life has shifted and you felt like you could hear the angels singing somewhere and you just felt like, this is just the most incredible spiritual experience of my life. That is a mere deposit of what heaven's going to be like. What if God is angry? He's not. The justice of God for you has been poured out on His Son, on the cross. His Spirit in you is a seal that you are His own. You will stand before Him because the Bible says so. You will give an account for all that you've done because the Bible says so. Yet if you have Christ on the inside of you, um, the junk that you've carried has long since been dealt with. Jesus' death for you is proof that God isn't angry with you. His Spirit in you is the receipt. I'm going to need someone to help me play as I finish this service. Thanks, Scott. And when you understand that, when you understand um, the, the final part of this verse that says, um, therefore all died and he died for all, and that those who live then should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them as he was raised again, as, as that takes root in your life, man, something shifts. Because you see, when I was... I once thought it was a big deal that I should have the autonomy to make my own decisions and everyone else get out of my way. So, so when choosing a partner, I, I, I might say to God, hey, it's my decision, God, not yours. Yet the, the Word of God says, I should keep as a non-negotiable someone who loves the Lord as I do. Or, or how do I handle myself? That's my business, God. That's not your business. I decide how I handle myself, thank you very much. Yet the Word of God says I need to put the needs of others ahead of my own in day-to-day life. Really, I say, even to jerks? Or I behave, shouldn't I decide how I behave in all of my situations? Isn't that dependent on my mood? Isn't that dependent on my day? Isn't that dependent on the atmosphere? Isn't that dependent on the mates who influence me? Well, actually, the Word of God says no. The Word of God asks me to be mindful of my life about the various things I do to ensure that I honour the Lord my God in all that I do. And that influences the way I, I behave when, I'm, when I've got a glass of wine in my hand. It, it, it influences the way I, I, I uh, speak to others and speak over myself. It, it, it advises what I should do and how I should live financially and various, various other things. But once I start to understand the Scripture... Once I start to understand that I died in Christ and I'm alive in Him now and I don't live for myself, but I live for Him, instead of saying, why should I? I find myself starting to say, why wouldn't I? Why wouldn't I? Why wouldn't I? If you did all of that and you've changed all of this, why wouldn't I? this might be the deepest thing you hear from me this year. That your true north, that the meaning of your life, what you should do with your 2020, with your next decade, what you should do with every waking moment, 
is not about you, but it's to live for Him. There's so many other good chapters. I even got even, that's one of my favorites, but there's more favorites to come. But I need to finish, and we'll pick this up. Would you close your eyes so we can pray on this? Father God, we want to, we need you. Like the song said, we need you more than our breath. And this morning, we need a fresh awakening. We need a fresh eye. We need a fresh uh, lung full of spiritual air. We need a fresh touch from you, God, that wakes us up to both you as our Savior and you as our Lord. Father God, for those here who who live amongst guilt, God, I pray for a freshness that you are their Savior, that you died for them, that there is no condemnation. And I pray also for those amongst us here who know you as Savior, but, but have until even this day struggled to say, yes, but not my will, but your will. Yes, but I'm not going to live for what I, my preferences, I'm going to live for your preferences, God. It's going to affect my partner choice. It's going to affect what I do with my life. It's going to affect the, what I do with every part of my life. And yet, I live for you. I fear the Lord. We give you all of us this morning. There is none other for us but you. That is our cry, our prayer, our declaration in Jesus' mighty name. And with every eye closed, and just keep them closed as I finish this service, I want to put that prayer into a sense of action. It's into a sense of activity. And if you're here this morning, I'm not going to embarrass you or call you out. I'm not going to get you out the front. I'm not going to get everyone to look. But if there are people here who need to make a response. You know what I mean? There are people here who can't remain silent and innerly, you know, the Bible, the Word says that uh, there is something that happens when you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth. But out of protection to you, I'm not going to ask you to say anything with your mouth. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand instead. Let that be your statement, your public statement, the beginning of it. If you're in this place this morning and you don't follow Jesus, you know that. Today, as you assess your life with your eyes closed, you don't need a deep prayer to know that you do not follow Him. Maybe you did at one stage, maybe you never have. Maybe it's your first time in church, maybe it's your millionth. Maybe you grew up in church, you know this stuff. Maybe you never have and it's all new. We're all on the same foot in here. Ask yourself this, do I follow Jesus today? And if you don't, if your, if your answer is actually, Nathan, to be honest, I don't know that I do, or I have a big question mark, I'm not sure if I do, then my friend, I want to help you. The Lord is knocking at your heart right now. That's what you're feeling. He's saying, I want in. Would you let me? If you need to make a response this morning, then I'm, I'm like I said, I'm going to ask you in just a moment to raise your hand. And I'm the one who's looking, so I will see it. I'll say, thank you. I'll, uh, you can lay, put down that hand. And here's what will happen after that. We'll end the service. People will funnel down the stairs to have a coffee. And I just want to meet with you for five minutes and give you a Bible and pray with you. And this might be for someone who, who, who's embarrassed right now. You're thinking, oh, Nathan knows me as a follower of Jesus. But just as he's speaking, I understand that 
actually, I've, I haven't laid something down. I haven't laid that part of my life down. I've, I can't go another step without doing that. I'm open to pray with you too. That's All right. I think I've talked enough about it. If that's you in this place and you need to make a response, would you raise your hand right now in this place? Who is there? Thanks. I see that hand. That's great. Who else is there? Friend, don't leave it if your heart is beating through your chest. That's God speaking to you. Father God, we pray your blessing, God, on every heart, on every life. In Jesus' name, amen. That's awesome. Okay. Hey, I need to finish the service because I've gone three minutes over. What I need you to do is stand to your feet. I want to speak one more scripture over you, and then we're going to end the service. I'd love it if you would head out to your left down the stairs because we've got a cafe down there for you, hot tea, hot coffee, some fruit and people who want to say hello. But let me finish with this scripture as we end. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly, more than you you can ask or think, according to his power at work within you, my friend, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, in all that you do, over all of your week and beyond, forever and ever, in Jesus' name, amen. Bless you guys. Have an incredible morning. Head out that way. Be blessed.